Can you talk to us about the key structures that a person needs to think around when building a marketing automation business? The first thing to really think about is how do you systemize the routine and humanize the exception? Hi, this is Joe Polizzi with the Content Marketing Institute, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on the Productive Insights Podcast. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Today's guest is a friend of mine who I've known for at least a couple of years, and his name is Carl Taylor. Carl is a self-professed entrepreneur, a speaker, a tech geek, and he's packed a lot into his life in a relatively short amount of time. From building his own computers and teaching himself to code in the mid-90s, to starting his first business at the age of 15, to building and selling three businesses and writing a number one business book by the age of 25. Today, at the age of 32, He's a founder and CEO of the automation agency and affordable marketing team for coaches and consultants who don't have the time or skills to do it all themselves. He's also the host of the Future of Humanity podcast, a weekly discussion with scientists, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders about what comes next for humanity, both the exciting and the challenging aspects. Now, as I said before, I've known Carl for a couple of years. Our values and our beliefs are quite aligned very excited and really happy to have him on the show. So welcome, Carl. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast. Hey, Ash. Great to be here. Looking forward to this for a long time, and I'm glad we finally could make it happen. Let's start by talking about marketing automation and your take on it. You've clearly built some successful businesses over the years, and marketing automation has been a part of that. And why you think it is an important part of a profitable business and how you've used automation in building your businesses. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think marketing automation, why is it crucial? Because it's a small part of a bigger whole. Uh, to me, it's not so much about marketing automation. It's about building a true business. A very early mentor of mine, early 2000s, taught me a definition of a business which still rings true to me today is it's a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you. And if, if your business cannot work without you, then in my view, it's not a true business, it's a job. And, mm -hmm. and it can be a part-time job, can be a part, um, highly paid job, but it's still ultimately a job of some kind. To build a business that can work without you, automation is a part of that. And one of the most key parts of any business is generating leads, marketing, how do you generate that demand? And so marketing automation is a way of creating a consistent flow of leads and sales. And if it's on autopilot, then that saves you a whole bunch of time and money. I mean, if, if you don't utilize marketing automation, it means that you yourself or you have to hire potentially expensive employees to be doing those types of activities, to be constantly communicating with your clients, trying to send the right message to the right people at the right time. And the reason that I think it's great for your profitability is well, instantly you don't have to do it. So now you're magnified. I mean, marketing automation is working 24 hours a day. I don't work 24 hours a day. Someone can come to my website, they can fill in a form. Instead of a human having to follow up, systems can follow up and send them things they need. They can continue down a pipeline. And when the customer or prospect is ready, you know, and not everyone's ready to buy, when they get to a point that maybe a buying decision is coming into it, 
well, at that point, let's humanize it and have the conversation. And that saves me or any team members I hire heaps and heaps of time. And so that's where the profit comes in, saves me a lot of money and time. That's a great answer. Just further to your point, as you said, your customers might not always be ready to buy at the time that you contact them. And marketing automation addresses this to some extent. And to take that one step further, I think if you have a listen to episode 140, where I talked to Andre Chaperon, he is a master of creating automation sequences that use this tagging system that allows you as a marketer or a business owner to present your audience with the relevant content and the relevant offers at the right time when they want it. It's almost like a choose your own adventure type of email marketing funnel. Speaking of efficient businesses and business tools, for me personally, the automation agency has been one of the most powerful tools I have come across. It's had not just a transformative effect on my own personal business, but it's also helped me with my clients, one of which is Julie McDonald. And I've done a case study in episodes 163 and 164, where we talked in detail about how she used marketing automation and the automation agency to build a recurring income business. I recommend you go and have a listen to that if you would like to know more about how the marketing automation aspects of the automation agency can actually help you to build a self-sustaining business. Can you talk to us about the key structures that a person needs to think around when building a marketing automation business and how they can prepare themselves to become a successful customer with the automation agency? The first thing to really think about is how do you systemize the routine and humanize the exception? That same mentor I mentioned before, it was a, a saying he used to say, and again, it's something that rings true to me and I remind myself all the time. How do I systemize the routine and humanize the exception? The first place to look at is don't go and install a whole bunch of new stuff. Look at what you're already doing that's working and go, what if this is repeatable? What is this that recurs? And how could I automate this? How could I automate this either with team members or can I automate it with technology? Now, I'm a big fan, as I taught myself to code at a young age, I'm a big fan of technology. I believe computers work. Humans are prone to fail. People will say, well, hold on, Carl, no computers fail. No, I would tell you every time a computer fails, it's a human's fault. Human error in input of data, human error as the coder, uh, human error in, in producing and building the hardware. The machine did what it was supposed to do, and it's usually a human's fault when it fails. And so I, that's why I'm a big fan of utilizing technology when possible over a human in a repeatable process. And so that's where I would start. What am I doing consistently right now or not consistently? And if I automated it, it would become consistent. So that would be looking at that mindset. The next thing is go look at, take that mindset, not just from the marketing automation standpoint, but throughout your entire life cycle of your business. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dean Jackson, right? Very smart marketer. He talks about the before unit, before they work with you, the during unit, and then the after unit. And yes. so it's the same thing. Look at that flow of going, well, before they do business with you, the marketing automation side of it, what can we create? What can we systemize? What can we do? And this is the part where you might start to go, well, I'd like to have a lead flow when someone fills in a form on my website, I want this to happen. So you start creating new things, not just automating what you were already doing. And then your during unit is going, okay, well, now we've got the sale. A customer has signed up. Architect the ideal system that's just going to wow people and leverage. What I would say is forget the automation at first. I think one of the big mistakes that 
business owners, and even I'm guilty of this too, yeah. is that we want to automate everything from the beginning. Yes. I think design the perfect flow yes. of system. After they've bought from you, how can you design the perfect system that will get people to that retention moment? That retention point is when clients go, wow, this is amazing. I can't live without you. And so when you're a subscription business like mine, but even if you're not, that's a really crucial moment that you want to get as many people as you can to that retention point. Yes. So you can hope that people get there or you can craft the ideal situation. You can go, the people who got there, what happened and how do I create a system that's going to increase more people getting to that point where they just love the service or the product. So craft that, build that. And then once you've worked out what the ideal situation is, then look at what, if any of it, can you automate? I think the, the restriction of going, here's what I can automate. So here's what I'm going to do limits what you can, the value you'll add and far more of the belief of just design the ideal system and then find out what limitations there are to actually building it. And sometimes you'll go, wow, well, to build that's going to require an investment of $100,000 in yeah. custom software. I might decide it's not worth that, so I'm not going to do it. Other times you'll find out, oh, cool, I can buy this tool and it'll let me do that, no problems. Or, all right, we can't quite do it that way, but if I slightly tweak it, we can automate it. How good would that be? Design what you want and then find out what tools are available to automate that system. I really like that. What I think we're saying here is, don't let the tail wag the dog. First decide what you want your ideal experience to be for the customer and then design your system around it rather than saying, okay, here's the system, let's try and automate it. Don't let the system decide the process. Let the outcome decide the process and work backwards. Now to that, I'd like to just add something. Darren Rouse, another smart marketer, said something very parallel to what you said, and that is a before avatar and an after avatar. So, you know, what do you want your customer to feel like after you've worked with them? So where's your customer at right now? What are they feeling, experiencing, etc.? And there's a great episode in Empathy Maps that I talk about this as well. What is the transformation you want to deliver? And then what is your customer going to see, feel, think, do after you've delivered that transformation? And that's a great premise around which to design your automation. So now a slight tangent. I recently interviewed Matthew Michaelwitz about artificial intelligence. I know that you guys have recently introduced artificial intelligence, Alvin, into your business. Do you think artificial intelligence is going to destroy humanity? My thoughts on this have changed numerous times. There's two main camps. For those that aren't aware, there's two main camps, right? There's, there's the Elon Musk camp and there's kind of like the Zuckerberg camp. Elon Musk believes that artificial intelligence, if we do nothing about controlling it, is going to be destructive. And ultimately, uh, we're already at a point where we need to be policing it and figuring this stuff out. Uh, then you've got maybe Zuckerberg and others in that camp who are kind of like, no, we'll be fine because we don't have general artificial intelligence. We only have what's known as specialized artificial mm -hmm. intelligence right now. So Alvin, the AI that, that we trained, you know, it's specialized. It can read an email and work out if it's a web task an automation task or a design task. That's all it can do though. It can't decide something else and reply back to you. Its replies are pre-programmed. It just works out itself what type of task it is and then it follows the program we've developed. Yeah. There was a great documentary called, how, I think it was like, how do you turn this on? Or I can't remember the exact name. It was something along those lines of how do we turn this off or how do you turn this on? It was a, it was a, a documentary. Elon Musk was in it. And he changed my mind. It was basically talking about how 
if we were laying a road, or when we lay a road, do we stop to think about the ant hill that we've possibly just covered over with our things? Now, the people who are laying that road, they're not anti-ants. They don't hate ants. They're not trying to kill ants. Yeah. All they're doing is they're focused on their specific job, which is to right. lay this road from A to B. Yet they might completely disrupt an ecosystem by laying this road. Now, mm -hmm. uh, some might say that there are systems and people who check all these things now before they lay the roads. But it's a perfect example of why a specialist AI can be dangerous because the specialist AI doesn't need to be anti-humans or hate humans. Sure. All it needs to do is, let's say it was set a task to find the most effective way to cure cancer. Yeah. It may decide once it crunches the number. <laughs> Eliminate humans. <laughs> the no, well, not necessarily humans, but the best way to defeat cancer yeah. would be to kill everyone who currently has cancer. Oh, right. To eliminate all the people who have a genetic predisposition to getting cancer. Yeah. And it would be possibly an effective way to eliminate cancer. It would if be. There is, if there is no checks. And it's not because it hated humans. And so that's sure. where... He, he changed my mind and perspective where I was like, you know what, that's that's really true that a specialist AI, depending on the target it's been set, because yeah. we don't tell them how they decide. What mm. we do is we set a problem, we go figure yes. this out, and it extrapolates with its own data sources how it's going to find the most effective way to, to solve that problem. And, and that is exciting, but I think concerning if we don't put restraints. So do I think AI is going to take over the world? I think it has the potential to. Mm -hmm. I think robotics and AI is going to fundamentally shift our economies globally. No about that. Yep. Again, but a big reason I do my podcast, Future of Humanity, is I believe we're at a great turning point in human history. Mm -hmm. All of these things are possibilities. They haven't happened yet. In a capitalist society, the market will decide whether they'll buy the product or not. So a business could build the product, but it doesn't mean the consumers will buy it and accept it. And so if the population, the people revolt against yeah. the idea of businesses implementing all these robotics. It's only happening because the market is accepting it because they want the convenience. But if yeah. we get to a point where consumers and society go, well, you know what? I will sacrifice that convenience so that we all still have jobs and we still drive cars. Driverless cars is technically a choice. Technologically, we're there. But whether or not we roll it out is a, is a human choice. So I think, I think at the end of the day, it can be or it won't be. It all depends on how we choose to decide and the people who are building the technologies, the Googles, the Facebooks. I'd encourage you to check out the episode with Matthew Michaelwitz. I can't remember the number of the episode, but he's of the view that we don't have the technology at the moment where that's going to happen. But you've just presented a pretty strong case about the potentiality. I know that you're not saying it is going to happen, but you've talked about how it could happen. And that's a very fair point. So can you talk to us about your mission as the founder of the Automation Agency and what are your plans for the future with Alvin and so on? Where do you see Automation Agency going? So where is Automation Agency going? At our core, our mission is, is and has been for a long time to release busy business owners from all the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, we focus primarily on digital marketing. That's, that's kind of the space we fill in. Could someday down the line we expand into other areas of business? Maybe. I've had thoughts about it, but you know, having thoughts and actually doing something about it, they're very different things. <laughs> very different things. So that's a core part of what we're about, is how do we release busy business owners? How do we give them back more time? The jobs that I believe we are helping clients or clients hire us to do is, is really about 
giving them leverage, giving them more freedom and releasing them from being the person. Like, as I said, I think most businesses need to get to a point where the business works without them in some way. Mm-hmm. And so automation entity is a part of that. Rather than hiring your own team, work with our team mm-hmm. and help you implement things as well. And and so that's definitely a core part of what we're focusing on. Uh, why does Alvin come into it? Well, that, you know, did that add a lot of value to clients? I think it did in, in some ways. It added speed where previously when you emailed in a task, it had to wait for a human to look at that before it got sent to the team. And so that could slow down a task, not massively, but it could. And so implementing that has given just a little bit of extra speed bump. The biggest benefit though was probably to us internally, because now we, instead of having to have different people working 24 hours a day, checking that email, we've just got a machine that can do it. The releasing for clients is there, but there's also looking at it from our internal perspectives too. One of the big things that we recently are focusing on is, we mentioned this before we hit record, right? We have a product that we started selling about two years ago called a membership site kickstart kit. And it was basically came about because we had clients who were trying to use our task-based service. So we're, for those that don't know, we're a task-based service. We're not working, we don't do big projects uh, unless you're project managing it and breaking it into tasks yourself. And what we found is, Clients would come to us wanting to build a new membership site for their course or coaching program. They didn't know what was involved. So they didn't know what tasks to ask for. You know, they didn't know how many tasks, what to ask for. And so it very quickly became messy for both us internally, but also for the client. It was a bad experience for everyone. And so that was when I built this kickstart kit, the idea of a fixed deliverable project of here's what you get and here's the fixed price. And instead of Uh, You having to tell us what you want, because we know the fixed deliverable, we're asking you the questions that we need so that we can just get on and complete it for you. So we've been successfully selling that project now for about two years. And the thing is that clients like yourself and many others don't know it exists. And so (laughs) one of the things that we're, we're looking at, one, we're looking to expand or we're actively working on expanding those kickstart kits to create a few others. Common situation. Another situation is we had a number of people who either don't sign up to us because they want to build a website and we're not great for building a website through tasks, or we have some clients who have successfully built a website through tasks. But it's a massive pain and it's slow. If they're on a budget and they're okay with the speed, well, then it can work. But most clients, they're not. They just want to kind of go, I want the website, build it. So we're working on a project, a kickstart kit for authority sites for coaches, consultants, service-based businesses. So that's one thing is improving the kickstart kits, creating more of them, but more importantly, adding it into our client portal so that you know it exists and you can easily, you can browse what projects we have available and you can choose to reach out to us and buy them if you'd like. So that's, that's something else that we're working on. Again, it goes to that releasing the business owner from the hard stuff. I have the idea. I want a membership site. I don't know what to ask for. Oh, I can purchase that project. No problems. And it kickstarts the project. And then then it gives them a, a video at the end about how to use it, how to populate it with their content, and then they can send in tasks to tweak and change it after that if they choose. That's another thing we're working on. Uh, another thing more recently, only in the last few months, I suppose, it came to my awareness that I think when businesses start, you make a lot of assumptions around who your market is. Mm-hmm. And then over time, you start to see what you maybe saw as one market, you start to see different personalities or personas. And so in more recent months, it's become clearer in my mind, who are the different personas we get? You know, we get personas, we get the people who are in 
kind of build mode who come to us not necessarily looking to work with us for two years or, or more. They're literally like, I'm looking for an affordable way to build all this marketing stuff, um, which is great. But that's where, again, the Kickstart kits will help because that's more suited to people on a more one-time project basis rather than our task subscription. But there's also you know, different priorities. Then we've got other clients who they come to us looking to yeah help with building things, but their biggest value proposition for them is how do I delegate some of these recurring activities in my business you know how do i get some of these things that are happening regularly i want to build you your service more into my existing service i want more of my team members working with you i want mm -hmm. you know i want recurring tasks to happen every month i want this to happen i need i need a new image every week for me to post on social media things like that and so where i'm putting a lot of thought right now into how do i make sure that our offerings and our different prices and plans and packages suit those different personas. In the past, it was kind of like, here's your options. But now, better understanding the personas and what they need will try to help us better create the right product and service. If you as a listener would like to know more about this, I do have an affiliate program with the Automation Agency. So you're welcome to check it out at productiveinsights.com forward slash automation. And if you do use that link, you will be able to get a free consulting session with me. You can also go directly to the automation agency and sign up, in which case you won't get the free consulting session, but I still highly recommend the service because I've been using it now for a couple of years and I have had very good experiences. I don't usually align myself with a company or a program unless I think it's good value and I think this is. Carl, let's talk a little bit about the biggest challenges you've seen people face when it comes to getting started with automation, with or without the automation agency. And what you recommend they do to overcome these challenges? What's the quickest way they can get some wins? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest issues that I see people have when it comes to some of these automation things is, goes back to one of the things we were just talking about, actually. A lot of people, and I totally understand it, I get it, go, I don't know how. I don't know how this works. I don't know what is possible. I don't know what I don't know. And it's all true. So there's kind of two parts of that, I suppose. The first part is you don't know how to do it. And then there, I don't even know what's possible. So let's start with the, I don't know how to do it. Well, don't worry about learning how. Okay. And just hire who, whether that's automation agency, whether that is a consultant, whether it's working with yourself, there is so many uh, people who know how to do things yes, and who love doing things that you suck at, you don't like doing. I think what you want to focus on is going, okay, I don't need to know how to do it. Let go of that. Now, I get it. If you're in the early stages of your business, cash flow is tight, well, then you'll probably spend more time learning how. And if, if cash truly is that tight, then I get it. I've been there. Do that. But when, when you get to a point where there maybe is just a bit more cash flow that you can outsource to a company, doesn't have to be mine, but if you can get people who know what they're doing then you will infinitely make yourself move a lot faster because you no longer get bogged down in this how that you don't know how to do. Okay, so typical person who would find this sort of service useful, don't get stuck in the, I don't know how to do the automation. Instead, ask who can help me do the automation. And another really important point you made was you do need to have a certain amount of cash flow. So at the end of the day, you either pay with money or you pay with time. If you don't have the money, then you will have to pay with your time and learn the how. But if you do have cash flow in your business and your time is better used acquiring more sales or 
selling more of your own specialty, whatever that is, then you're better off saying to somebody like the automation agency, well, you guys figure out the how, you're the who, help me. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think also like it's not an either or. It's a, as soon as you have the cash flow, you get someone to do it. It's not Good a point. even like I know how to do a lot of what automation to do. I mean, that's how it started. I trained my team how to do it. Personally, haven't logged in and done things for a long time. There's a lot of things I don't know how to do anymore. Yes. And I'm okay with that, right? Even yes. though it might be faster for me to do it myself sometimes. It truly might be. The difference is my time is better spent focused on thinking about things like the personas, being on podcasts like this, having thinking time. My, my genius yes. is thinking and strategizing time. Here's another objection that I think is a very valid one that I'm going to put to you. How do you manage people doing the how if you don't know the how because to some degree you need to understand the how to be able to effectively manage people who are doing the how well this comes down to the who you pick so i I would say like for example let's take an example like a number of people in different business circles who will hire a virtual assistant a general virtual assistant for I don't know however much money per month or per hour, and they'll hire a general virtual assistant in, say, the Philippines or India or somewhere like that. And they'll go, hey, do this stuff in my Entreport account. If that person is not an expert in Entreport, then they need a lot more managing than someone who does it all day, every day. Absolutely. Now, that's a step, you know, the step up from that is automation agency. The next step up after something like automation agency where they're highly trained is to go to an Australian, US, UK based consultant. You'll pay far bigger dollars, but again, there's going to be a higher level of less management involved. So it comes down to going, knowing at what point. But I would also argue that if you're working with an automation agency or above level, someone with experience, then you don't even need to know the how. You just need to be able to articulate clearly the what, the what it should look like and what it shouldn't look like. If you can clearly articulate, here's what success looks like, but here's also what success doesn't look like. Here's if you're doing it wrong. If you can articulate that clearly, someone who knows what they're doing is going to get it, if not 100% right the first time, they're going to get it pretty damn close. But if you can't articulate that, then that's when the problems start to happen and there's far more management required. So it's it's having people who are too low skilled and don't know what they're doing and then not clear enough in the brief of what success looks like and what like what wrong looks like. So it seems, Carl, like we have a hierarchy. We've got the what at the very top of this hierarchy. Then we've got the who can help me do this. And then we've got the how this can be done. Does that sound right? Yeah. The who, the what, the how. So who can do it? Be really super clear on what success looks like and what failure looks like. Like what is the two constraints of here's what it looks right when it's done right. Here's what it looks like when it's done wrong. The power of who you pick as your who will determine how much management is required. The more money you're prepared to pay and the higher level of skill is going to have less management. All right. Well, this kicks us into the second last part of the conversation and that is the action step. So I've written down a few notes here. So I love this part where I kind of summarize a few of the things that have been discussed and some key action points that our listeners can take and implement that in their business today. We started off, we talked about marketing automation, what it was, and explained how it's one of the cogs in the wheel to business ownership and building a sustainable business that runs without you. We talked about how the automation agency can help a business and how it has helped me as a business owner. And then we talked about the importance of 
understanding how to systemize a routine and humanize the exception. I love that. That's got to be a tweetable. Systemize a routine and humanize the exception. We then talked about whether artificial intelligence was going to take over humanity. And that was a bit of a tangent, but that was an interesting tangent. And then, Carl, you explained the importance of building systems and automation, not around a process that already exists, but rather trying to envision what your end state is going to be, what your current state is, and then building a bridge between the two. And that is how you come up with your process, which you can then automate, rather than just looking at what you're currently doing and trying to automate that, which I think is a very important point. And Darren Rouse talked about that as well in an early episode. We talked about a before avatar and an after avatar. And that is kind of a similar parallel when it comes to marketing. You know, what do you want your customer to feel? What is your customer feeling right now? And what do you want your customer to feel after they have finished consuming your product or your service? We then talked about the challenges and we talked about some of the biggest challenges people face. And I really love that hierarchy you explained, which was if you don't know how to do things and that's okay, then the next best question to ask is who can help me figure out the how? Usually that means that you need to have a certain amount of cash flow to be able to hire someone to do that. But you need to do that as quickly as you possibly can, often faster than you think you need it. And then the highest level is what? What am I trying to achieve? What does success look like? What does failure look like? And that can sometimes lead you to the who and then below that is the how. Anything else you'd like to add, Carl? Well, one thing that I I realized that I I didn't tell you what the number two mistake that I think people make, which ties back to that after you don't know what, how, the, the question is, well, I don't know what. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what they can do. And I think the way you overcome that is by going to kind of what you were talking about and what I mentioned earlier is your what shouldn't be determined by what the tool can do. Yes, to a degree. I think as business owners, it's smart for us to, I spend a lot of my time reading through feature requests, reading through the help documentation of tools we use. I might not personally do the things, but I'm trying to understand what the tools are capable of because that helps stimulate ideas. That's, but that's me. However, what you want to do is go, well, figure out what you would like in an ideal world to happen. And then you put it to your who and say, here's what I'd like to have happen. And they'll tell you if it's doable or not. Or, oh, we can do that, but it's going to cost 100 grand to build this. Or, no, to do that, we can't do it quite like that, but we can do it this way. Is that okay? And and I think too many business owners in general who are non-techie in particular, they go into this paralysis of, I don't know what I don't know. So, therefore, they just sit there and do nothing when it's like, well, that actually doesn't matter. You just have to have a vision of what's possible. And that vision of what's possible can come from your own head of here's what I'd like to have happen if it's possible. Or it can be going through someone else's funnel or going to their website. The number of times I go through, I buy something from someone and something cool happens. I'm like, that's really cool. I wonder if we could do that. How could I do that? Right. And then I might take a video or a screenshot of it and say, hey, team, can we do this? Or if put it into my notes for later and go, when we go through our onboarding process, we're going to copy this because that was brilliant. That's the kind of stuff that I think that's where the what comes from outside of doing courses and training and things. But that helps accelerate it. I don't think it's the only way. So that's what I would add. And then from, a, from an action point, coming back to your question of action points, the, the thing I would say is if anyone listening right now doesn't have a marketing automation platform, now you might be wondering what exactly is that? It's kind of a step up from an email marketing tool. So you might have MailChimp where you're broadcasting emails. That would be more an email marketing tool. Yes, they have an automation feature, but it's pretty limited. We're talking more about something like Infusionsoft, Entreport, 
Active Campaign. Active Campaign starts at nine bucks a month. Yes. I remember I was on a, a panel once sitting with Oracle and all these big players in the marketing automation space and I was speaking about marketing automation. Someone in the crowd asked, when should you start using marketing automation? And it went through all the big corporate players first. Oh, when you've hit $10 million a year and all these things. And then it came to me and I said, there's no reason you shouldn't be doing it now. Nine bucks a month, active campaign. Like every business can have marketing automation today. You're crazy if you don't. So, and I love active campaign. It's so simple, drag and drop, scalable. Yeah. So that's what I would say is an action step. If you don't have that system, get something and start with just a very simple capture an email from a, from a website and maybe deliver an automated email back. Start with that. If you're a bit more advanced, something that I think a lot of people aren't using that they should is Facebook custom audience syncs. If you're doing any Facebook advertising, then set it up so that when someone's downloaded your ebook or they're a customer, that you're syncing them to a custom audience on Facebook. So you can either advertise to those people or you can exclude them from an advertising campaign. And it just happens in real time synced from your active campaign account or your Entreport account. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's an, a, a quick, easy win for many people too. And I'll tell you what else. I recently interviewed Wilco Cry from the Connectio suite, and he's got some really good products around Facebook marketing and so on. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they do sync with Active Campaign. I haven't used them for a while because the team's been working on the tools lately, but that's another really good tool as well. And what I really like about Active Campaign is, as you said, it starts at nine bucks a month. It's so scalable. And I personally am very biased towards it. And I remember something that one of my previous guests, Peter Moriarty, said, which I thought was quite very well put, actually. He said, in a lot of cases, people are using Entreport or Infusionsoft. It's like trying to cut a carrot with a chainsaw. Most of us don't really need that level of marketing automation. And Active Campaign actually addresses that issue. And to my knowledge, there isn't much else in the market out there competes at that level and can be scaled all the way up. So yeah. I couldn't speak highly enough of it. I know Drip is coming off late, but I don't know how scalable it is and whether you can use it as a starting point. Okay, Carl, look, it was great having you on the show. How do customers find out more about you? And before you go, do you have any thoughts on how we as business owners can become a little bit more environmentally friendly? So obviously, if automation agency is of interest, then go through Ash's link, which was ProductiveInsights.com forward slash automation. Yeah. Or, you know, if for some reason you don't want to take advantage of that free consulting session, you can find us at automationagency.com. So that's the best chance from an automation agency standpoint. If you're looking to connect with me as an individual, my playground where I spend the most time is Facebook. So you can connect with me, follow my Facebook profile. You can friend request. I won't always accept complete random friend requests, but you can definitely follow me and get my public stuff. Otherwise, you can also join. I've got a free Facebook group. I don't sell anything in there. It's called Entrepreneurs by the Pool. You can find that at carltaylor.com slash pool, P-O-O-L. That's just a shortcut to the Facebook group. So you're welcome to join that. Continue the discussion there if you like. But they're, they're probably the main ways. If you're obviously a podcast listener and you're interested in techie and science stuff, Future of Humanity podcast, foh.show is a great way to check out some of my stuff too. So that's me. The question about environmental. This could almost be another whole episode in itself, but I think there's two things I would say. The first is obviously don't paper. I think I think paper is something that too many people print. I have a printer sitting over there in my office and I can't remember the last time I printed anything because when I got my iPad, it changed everything. There were a lot of situations where I would 
someone would send me paperwork that sadly had to be filled in and I would print it out. I'd fill it in. I'd have to take a photo of it and email it back. It was just so stupid. But then I got my iPad, which has the pencil, iPad Pro, yes. and I just download the Word doc or the PDF. I fill it in on my iPad. I save it as a PDF and I email it back. No printing out. It's all on my, all cool. done. So that, I think simple things like that of going, how do I reduce my paper footprint is really helpful. The, the bigger one, which we might have to explore in a future episode, I was inspired by an episode I heard of a podcast with a guy called Tom Sakey. Uh, he's the CEO of TerraCycle. And basically, he was talking about how plastics, a lot of, you know, there's a big war on plastics right now. And he was saying how plastic itself is not the problem. It's the business model around how we're using plastic. Okay. And so I would say as business owners, I would encourage all of us, especially those if you're listening who are in the manufacturing space or in a product-based space, to look at your business model and go, is there a smarter way of helping the environment while still making a profit? Yes. He, the example that he gave was if you create baby clothing right now, you know, some, you buy the zero, the size zero, and then when your baby a few weeks later is grown out of it, you throw it away and you buy the next size up. And so that is the consumable version of plastics. And so it's creating waste. As a manufacturer, it's in your interest to create the product as cheap as possible because mm -hmm. customers don't want to pay a lot of money for something they're going to throw away in a few weeks. He said, but if you flipped your business model to a subscription model, where what you do is you pay $20, you pay $20 as a deposit, and then you pay $5 or something, and they send you size zero. And then when your baby outgrows size zero, you send it back, and they send you size one. And then when size one's out, you send it back, and then they send you size two. And you're paying like $5 a month maybe for this thing. And then when eventually your baby's outgrown all of the clothing from the, the baby thing, you get your $20 deposit back. Now, as a business... Instead of a throwing away, using the plastics in the clothing, what are you going to focus on? Instead of going, how do I make this as cheap as possible? You're going to go, how do I make this as durable as possible? How do right. I make it last? Because your profit no longer comes from people throwing it away and buying more. The profit comes from making it once and being able to have it reused and washed over and over again yes. so I can give it to future customers. That's where my profit comes from. And I loved that complete flip of a traditional business model and going, no, no, the problem is not necessarily plastics. It's the way we've built our business model around consumable of plastics and throwing it away. So I would just encourage anyone to look at your entire business model and go, well, hold on. Is there a more environmentally friendly way of changing you know, your entire business model? That's a very deep insight, Carl. And it actually reminds me of a term I studied. It's called planned obsolescence. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they did that around light bulbs. You know, they yep. built light bulbs so that they actually stop working after a period of time so that you buy more light bulbs. And yep. I think you've hit on something very, very important, which is incentive structures, not just for your employees, but for yourself as a business owner. And I love that idea. So, you know what? I would love to have you back to talk about exactly this how to create environmentally friendly business models. That's going to be the yep. name of our next episode. Good. I, I think it'd be worth exploring. And you're not wrong. Like that, there's a light bulb. There's still an original Edison light bulb. I think it's original Edison a light bulb in a fire department somewhere in the US. It's yeah. over like 100 or 200 years old. It's still burning bright. Before that was before they created light bulbs to fail because they realized there was no money in selling That's a light it. bulb that didn't and fail. I know this sounds a little bit, you know, conspiracy theory like, but 
industrialization has a lot to answer for and planned obsolescence is definitely a part of that because let's face it the whole concept of the corporation has been built around the idea of profit and profit does not necessarily equal environmentally friendly practices it's only in the current business models again like this is like what he was saying in the ter- in his example of a subscription based model rather than a purchase the product throw it away model now there is still profit attached to a more environmental and sustainable product creation process. Yeah. And if you listen to Seth Godin's take on things, he'll say that the whole university system has been built around the industrialization concept, you know, feeding Mm. automatons into these corporates. But things are changing now, and this conversation is an important part of that change. So thank you for contributing some really, really great stuff. It was great having you on, Carl, and I look forward to having you back on that next episode which is going to be about environmentally friendly business models. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 